Hello and welcome to Startup Europe, the Sifted podcast. I'm Amy, Sifted's editor. And I'm Mimi, Sifted's Nordic correspondent. And at Sifted, we report on Europe's tech and startup sector. And on this podcast, we peek inside the Sifted newsroom, discuss the biggest things our journalists have been reporting on and speak to some of the people behind the headlines. So this week, we'll hear about layoffs at two big European scale-ups and we'll get the details of one startup that's riding the AI hype and has raised money to scale its protein engineering technology. We will also dig into the findings of the VC firm Atomico's State of European Tech report, which, perhaps surprisingly, gives room for cautious optimism. And for a little bit more AI, we'll be joined by Gary Brockman, the CEO of the Cambridge-based Second Mind, which has raised money to scale its car engine optimization technology. And our European policy reporter, Zosha Vanatz, who will be here to tell us about how the EU's new investment vehicle to accelerate European innovation isn't off to a great start. But we will start with some sad news and we have some fresh rounds of layoffs this week from two European scale-ups. The companies were London-based EdTech Multiverse and German micromobility platform Tier. Amy, remind us what both of these companies do. So Tier is probably the one most people would be familiar with. It's a company that runs e-bikes and e-scooters, which you can rent via and app. And I'm sure you've seen them in many, 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 many cities all over Europe. Multiverse is a company founded by Ewan Blair, the son of the former UK Prime Minister, Tony Blair, which perhaps has got a bit more press in the past than a similar company would have done thanks to that connection of the founder. Um, And what it does is it helps get people into apprenticeships in the workplace. And they have both not had a great week. So Multiverse has said that it's going to lay off up to a third of its staff in the US. US and Tier has said it will lay off 22% of its workforce. So if we start off with Multiverse, what's the reason behind these layoffs? So Ewan Blair told employees in an email that their strategy for the US hasn't quite evolved fast enough um, in the two and a half years since the company opened its office. Over there, he said that the company is tracking behind its US revenue targets, you know, and it hired people hoping that it would achieve those targets. And because it hasn't, it's had to let go some people. Okay. And in the case of Tier, is that similar situation or what would you say? Yeah, so Tier, we've known, has been struggling for a while. We reported earlier this year that it was in acquisition talks and its staff have been declining we could see on on LinkedIn for quite a while it also had some sort of notable C-suite people leave Um, but the reason that the CEO uh, Lawrence Lushner said for this particular sort of chunky round of layoffs is that you know it's been a difficult year they've been working really hard like many companies to get to profitability but they haven't quite made it so 140 people will be affected. He said some more people might be affected down the line as well. But in in positive news for Tier, he he said that the company has improved its EBITDA, which is this kind of measure of how well a company's doing, which is their operational profit before tax and some other costs. He said that's improved from minus 63% last year to be on track for just minus 15% this year. And he also said that in the last five months, the company has achieved profitability. So it sounds like actually that that could be quite an impressive story if they turn that company around and get its profitability after being in what seemed to be such a bad state earlier Mm. this year. Yeah, so I mean, for most micro mobility companies, the last five months 
is the summer months and it's usually the ones when people actually use micro mobility the most i suppose i mean in sweden right now it's like a lot of snow anywhere so no one's using those ones at least the e-scooters but also someone pointed out that maybe the problem with like the depreciation of this kind of electric scooters and electric bikes is one of the bigger things more than the a bit da i mean what do you think amy yeah i think that's a really good point obviously that they might have hit profitability over the summer but doing the same in the winter is is much harder although i do i do love when you go to sweden and don't some of the scooter companies put like snow tires on which is <laughs> which is just amazing um we did actually interview a uk-based e-bike company called forest recently which is profitable and it uh, has a slightly different model in that on its app it has which you obviously have to sign into to kind of get a bike and end a ride uh it has advertising and just that kind of a kind of simple mm-hmm. idea means that that particular e vehicle rental company is profitable it is a much smaller i should say than lots of these other ones i think it's only operational in london but i guess there is there is hope for the sector it's yeah. just as you say there's all these logistics problems the problem that the vehicles do get broken and do you know stop working over time etc so it's still very much one that people need to figure out clearly so maybe that's a tip for for all the other micro mobility companies you know start with advertising uh, in your apps and so on let's move on to some better news and this was the story that you wrote Mimi Dutch biotech startup Cradle has announced a 24 million dollar series A investment this week to scale up its generative AI biotech business. What does that mean? I mean, I have interviewed Stefan Griegen, the Cradle CEO and co-founder a couple of times. And every time I ask him the exact same things because it's so complicated, but I will do my best. So Cradle kind of helps make drug development, for instance, faster and cheaper by creating software to create proteins, the building blocks of therapeutics, with the properties that drug makers desire. So Cradle has created this large database of all known proteins, so approximately like 2 billion, and attached labels to them. So for example, how they respond to certain temperatures. And I mean, I don't know if you remember, but some COVID vaccines had some issues when they came out because they had to be in the fridge because they couldn't actually uh, handle warmer temperatures. So this is what Cradle does. It kind of like tries to find the proteins that actually doesn't need to be in the, in the fridge to manage. Cool. And how does generative AI fit into all of this? Well, so Cradle has then taken all this kind of data generated in startup's wet lab- laboratory and put it into this generative AI models that they have then trained on these protein sequences. So if you have a data of like 2 billion different protein sequences, you can actually, and with the labels as well, you can actually teach the gen AI to actually come up with the great proteins for the drug developers. And how does it make money? Well, it's kind of interesting because Cradle, you know, they've managed to get these great industry partners in some way. And I mean, including like Johnson and Johnson Innovation, uh, but not only pharma, but also like Novozymes, who does renewable diesel, and also the synthetic DNA uh, manufacturer Twist Bioscience. So they're using all these kind of their partners to make money, I suppose, because they also 
into like 12 different R&D projects right now. And because that they can show that they can cut the time of R&D to about half. So right now to take up a drug to test phase, it takes like two to four years. If you can halve that, that cut the costs a lot as well. So that's what, how they're making money. What's the plan with all the new money? Well, I guess that they want to, uh, you know, <laughs> they want to scale this and uh, want to actually be able to get more partners involved, obviously. But also they were looking at, because now they're opening up a big lab in Amsterdam and they also have an office in Zurich as well as uh, their head office in Delft. And uh, I was asking them whether they're going to go to the US then, because the US is obviously a place where you know, biotech companies want to go usually. And it is said that they are thinking about it, but they haven't decided yet because as he was saying that Europe actually owns like 40% of all biotech. So it's, it's good to be here as well. But I think that's the kind of thing that they want to do now, like to just strengthen the team and strengthen their laboratory and their kind of database so they can do more. And one last news story. This week we have the State of European Tech report from VC firm Atomico and it's always a pretty comprehensive picture of what's going on with European startups. So what did we learn, Amy? Oh, we learned a lot as we always do. So some of it probably won't actually be very surprising to ardent listeners of the Sifted podcast, but investors and founders alike are struggling to raise money. Investment in the ecosystem has massively dropped, at least in comparison to the boom years of 2021 and 2022. And the bit that always gets me, funding for underrepresented founders is still awful because it never changes. But it's not all bleak in Europe. So VCs are sitting on record amounts of dry powder. That means the money that they have uh, to, to invest that they have not yet invested. Early stage funding has stayed pretty stable across 2023 so it's just that later stage stuff that Zosha will be talking about on the pod um, in a bit that has been hit the hardest and Europe is producing more new founders than the US. Wow so let's start on fundraising how did it compare with previous years if we didn't know yeah. that already. <laughs> yeah so they uh, so Atomica reckons that we're on track for 45 billion US dollars to be invested in European startups by the end of the year. That's less than half of the peak when we went over 100 billion in 2021 which everyone at the time was very very excited about. However if you kind of look at a chart 2021 and 2022 are just kind of these blips and if you kind of compare the trajectory from 2020 to 2023 you know the ecosystem is still growing it just went through this weird spike and now it's kind of going up and also in comparison to some other regions Europe is on track to, to see investment rise 18% this year in comparison to 2020 whereas in the US and China it's likely to be a drop from 2020 mm. so that's you can see that as a good thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, as many people say, like 2021, for example, was just like one of those kind of weird years in a way. So what about talent? Uh, there was some good news for Europe there, wasn't it? Yep. So the rate at which founders are starting new companies has fallen since its peak in 2020. But there are more first-time founders in Europe than there are in the US. And also, this is one we at Sifted especially enjoyed. Europe is seeing more tech talent move from the US to, to our continent in comparison to European talent moving to the US. It's only a very slight 
difference. So 8,400 US tech workers apparently have moved from the US to Europe this year so far, whereas 8,300 Europeans have gone over to the US. But that must be a little bit of a change, right? So that's great. I don't know. I feel like this might be a new chart in the Atomico State of European <laughs> Tech Report. So we can we can look at that again next year. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't get away from some pretty tough statistics from uh, those bigger companies, can we? Yeah, one of the starkest charts is <laughs> there are so few unicorns this year. So just seven mm. have been created at least up to the end of October. So they include the AI startup Synthesia, which you can read all about on Sifted very soon, and Deeple, and a financial crime company called uh, Quantexa. And in 2021, there were 108 new unicorns. So from wow. 108 to seven, quite quite a dramatic change. And we're also just seeing so many fewer mega rounds uh, of these rounds of like 100 million plus around the ecosystem. So it's tough out there and even tougher if you're not a man, right? Yeah. So just 7% of European funding rounds went to all women founding teams in the first nine months of 2023. That is an ever so slight improvement on previous years, but it's still pretty low. And it's even worse when you look at how much money is going to them. So just 3% of the total capital went to all women founded teams in 2023, compared to 82% for all male teams. And if we look at the kind of people who are starting generative AI companies, yeah. My predictions are skinny or worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I know one female founder anyway. <laughs> it's doing that, but it's not many of them. And uh, actually, I mean, I think this number hasn't changed much, right? As long as I've been reporting on tech, this has been the same numbers almost for like 10 years now. So it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's so, pretty frustrating as well, yeah. given that there are more and more and more initiatives and more focus placed on this. And yet it's still not changing. So what do you think are coming next then? Is the, the report giving us any clues? So predictions include we will unfortunately see more layoffs next year. I mean, that would make sense because, you know, lots of startups that have managed to cut back to eke out their runway or have done internal rounds with their current investors will have to go out to market and some of them won't find new investors who want to put money in. So they'll either shut down, try and sell or have to do layoffs. Mm -hmm. And another perhaps unsurprising prediction, AI will continue to be uh, a big deal next year. And I guess the big question is whether VCs actually use all that dry powder that they're sitting on and whether they sit on it for a little bit longer. And now we are joined by Gary Brotman, CEO at Cambridge-based SecondMind, which uses AI to help its clients build better, more efficient cars. The company this week announced a $16 million investment round led by the Japanese car manufacturer Mazda. Gary, congrats on the raise and welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me and thank you for the congratulations. So tell us in simple terms for non-machine learning engineers, what does your company do? We have a cloud-based system that uses machine learning and artificial intelligence to help engineers design components, systems, and subsystems in what are becoming very complex cars, uh, as well as calibrate those systems for performance either virtually or after they have been fabricated as they go through the production process. Um, we're able to compress the amount of time it takes to do that by about 50%. And in machine learning, 
when it comes to machine learning value, we can usually work with about 20% of the data that other systems would typically need. We're, we're a small data player. We're not a big data player. Great. And Second Mind hasn't always just focused on cars, has it? What did you? What was it like when you took over as CEO and how has it changed? No, the, the company's been around for a while. And uh, as a research-centered company initially, um, exploring a number of different industries from online gambling and security in that, in that context, uh, supply chain, finance, um, and automotive, which was at the tail end of this discovery process or period, turned out to be a very good match, or at least the types of problems that we were looking at in engineering, a very good match with the technology. So, so much so that everything else was in the noise. When I joined as the vice president of the product, we were in three different industries and focus was a very big challenge. So you cannot build a business, let alone a product for three different markets with three different types of users. Your best thing to do is to start off with one. So what I was asked to do at some point in 2021, along with the CFO and the rest of the team, was to figure out which industry do we place the bet on, which is the one that we want to be in, and which is the one we're going to have the biggest impact. And automotive was the one we chose. Mazda was the lead customer. And the problem that we started off with in calibration was one that we felt would be the kind of the, the stepping stone to rebuild the business again. And it's worked out so far. And this is the first big milestone since that point. And I think a proof point that... You know, resiliency and kind of weathering the storm, whether it's the tech downturn and VC is kind of drying up um, or just getting on with it and keeping your heads down and try to build products, which is not an easy thing, uh, has paid off. And it's obviously been a bit of a crazy year for the AI industry. You're not using generative models. So do you think that hype around generative AI has been good or not so good for your company? We, have, we only have a few minutes, right? <laughs> um, I have to say we are using generative AI in our business, uh, but we're, it's not our core technology. We're actually using it as a tool to improve e efficiency in different parts of the company. We're using it for marketing. We're using I use it to write presentations or at least kickstart. Um, we have developers, engineers who are using it to write some code, test plans, um, and we're actually starting to integrate it into our products. Um, given the amount of given the amount of tokens that you can feed into GPT-4, we can feed our user guide and API documentation and all the things that back up our product and allow an engineer who's using our product to just ask the question instead of asking us or filing a ticket. Um, and I think other companies are probably doing this too. It's block and tackle at this point if you're not trying. Um, and as a startup, I don't want to have to add more cost to the business and using those tools helps. Um, Beyond that, we have our own machine learning, and that's where kind of our secret sauce is to solving these engineering problems. But we are, I think we benefit, and there's also a detractor when it comes to talking about AI. In fact, we don't even like to use the term AI, but now everybody's using it, and we have to. Um, the hype is back, uh, and there was hype a few years ago when deep learning was the, was the thing, and now deep learning has hit the trough of disillusionment, if you look at the Gartner hype curve. Generative AI is probably on the fast track to doing the same thing where we, we our position is pragmatism and what we have is a number of tools and they parlay in different forms of math. And it's really new software that creates incredible amounts of efficiency. Um, and with generative AI specifically, it is really a way to be, you learn a lot more than you could at becoming an apprentice as an engineer in, in an automotive company or anything that you want to learn about, you can do it at hyperspeed in a relatable way. 
instead of having to hunt down documentation through Google search, et cetera, or going to class or whatever, it's a tool. And it, it really fits nicely with our brand because Second Mind is about being the second mind of the engineer. We are going to use this tool to help deliver on that promise. And I think everybody can do the same thing for themselves. But the hype is a, an unfortunate side effect of mass market awareness and interest. The key is to stay in the middle and not go to either side of the equation. It's not going to kill us and it's not going to save the world. But if used appropriately, it's going to do great things. So lastly, we are joined by Sosha Varnat, our EU policy reporter, who this week has been looking into the EU's European Investment Fund. At the start of the year, the institution launched a 3.75 billion euro vehicle to invest in growth funds backing European scale-ups. But Sosha, not much has been happening, has it? Uh, well, Mimi, it depends who you ask, really. So obviously, everyone in the European startup scene has been watching this fund really, really closely. It is uh, quite a lot of money for big funds, right? So like everyone would like to know which funds would get their funding from that pot, because that would essentially mean that these VC firms would raise over 1 billion fund. It's a lot. So we've been watching, right? The journalists have been watching, the, the, the operators have been watching, everyone has been interested. But there's been no announcement whatsoever from the EIF, from any big European VC firms that they got this money. So we became curious and we started to ask around. So basically, the EIF is telling us another story. They say that Obviously, they can't disclose the names of the funds, but uh, they are doing pretty well. They have a serious pipeline. They've already approved over 1 billion euros. So it's like 25% of the program. So they are claiming that it's going pretty well. They just can't go public with that. Is something going wrong or isn't it then? What would you say? I mean, hard to say, really, but I think, and this is what people in the EIF have con confirmed to us, is that the EIF is only giving a part of the money to those funds, and they have still fundraised the rest, right? And the economic situation right now isn't great for, for fundraising. So the situation might be that they are just, you know, they're struggling with fundraising or they are finalizing the fundraising of, of their funds. So yeah, maybe it's just a matter of weeks or months until we know which funds got the money. So this is only going to like 1 billion euro funds, right? Uh, yes, yes. Okay, so if they're not actually putting that money to those funds, is there any chance that the money will end up going to private equity funds instead? So, uh, yeah, this is one of the worry in the ecosystem. And we know that from what we've heard, at least one of the funds that got this money approved, French Kinsight, is more a private equity firm than a VC fund. And now uh, the EIF says that they will never give this money to private equity firms that, you know, just want to do some financial engineering and just 
I don't know, like buy out the company and make a small profit out of it, they will still very much focus on those firms that want to invest in companies that are growing. So this growth component will still be very important, but they haven't ruled out the possibility that some of the money will go to those companies which are sort of in the middle, so somewhere in between VC and private equity. And is there a chance that this money also could go to non-European investors? So again, the EIF would say no, especially that the LPs in this fund are European governments. There are five European governments and the European Investment Bank. So it's like very, very, not even European, but like EU vehicle, I would say. So obviously the EIF would say no, never. But then again, we've heard that one of the funds that got the money approved is Atomico, which is obviously it has a very strong European presence, but technically it's based in the US, which is not in the EU. So there are some worries in the ecosystem that there might be some foreign funds coming into Europe, setting up their offices within the EU and then getting a chunk of this this fund. So uh, this is not a great start for a fairly like big strategic move in the EU tech sovereignty agenda, is it? I mean, well, obviously, from the very beginning, this fund has been seen as the EU's push to fund their own homegrown startup with their own European money and not the foreign money. Some people were claiming from the very beginning that it's not enough, that almost 4 billion euros is not enough to finance those scale-ups. And now we are seeing that actually distributing the money and attributing them to like the right kind of funds is also proving at least a little bit problematic for them. So uh, let's see how it goes. Yeah, not great for European scale-ups in a way. So thank you so much, Sasha, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. And that is all we have time for. If you want to hear more about what's unfolding in the world of European tech and startups, you can find all our coverage on sifted.eu. You can also find all the articles mentioned in this episode in the podcast description. I would recommend definitely reading our roundup of the uh, top things to take away from Atomico State of European Tech Report if you don't have time to read the whole thing but it is always worth looking at with all its nice charts Um, and you can let us know what you think of this Sifted podcast by emailing me amy at sifted.eu thank you so much Mimi thank you Amy stay warm